Today I'm going to be talking about the word covenant and how that word has played a very important role in the history of Christianity. I'm going to be talking about the subjects of law, history, and faith. So come along with me on that journey, and here we go. Just about every law student starts her or his legal education by attending a class on contracts. I was just such a student, but to be quite frank with you, I wasn't a very good student. A contract, in its simplest form, is when someone promises to do something for someone else and that someone else promises to do something in return. That is called a bilateral contract, i.e., between two people. The easiest types of contracts to understand are those that we experience every day, such as when you offer to someone to sell them your home, your car, or your lawnmower. They say yes, and they agree to pay you money for that item. In return, you turn over the item to them. One of the definitions of the word covenant is a contract. In the biblical sense, God enters into a contract with us when we agree to do what God wants us to do, and in return, God bestows upon us God's love, grace, and forgiveness. I want to talk about the old and the new covenant that we hear about and read about when we study our Bibles. To begin with, there is another definition of covenant, and that is testament. The terms Old Testament and New Testament are often used as titles of the two primary parts of the Bible. The literary work, known as the Old Testament, is actually made up of 39 individual documents or books that give us details of the Old Covenant. The literary work known as the New Testament is actually made up of 27 literary works or books that give us the details of the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the working arrangement that God had with Israel. He had chosen them for a special relationship that God did not have with any other group of people on earth. God took just a few people known as patriarchs, among them who were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and grew their descendants into a great, great nation. God also gave them a land called Canaan, which was later to be called Israel. God gave them God's laws to live by, and they were called covenants. Yes, God entered into a contract with the Israelites in which they were to remain loyal to God, obeying God, and worshiping only God. If they did, God promised to bless them. However, if they breached that contract by not doing their part, God promised that they would be punished and the punishments could be quite severe. They would, at the very least, be called sinners. They had fallen away from God. However, God also established a sacrificial system that would allow them to be cleansed, temporarily, of their sins. But these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over again. God also ordained priests to represent the people 
as the people could never come directly in contact with the presence of God. The priests were the ones to actually make the sacrifices for the Israelites and their sins. The sacrifices consisted of all kinds of things, especially animals and especially lambs that would be killed as an offer for and in the name of God. In doing so, the sins of the Israelites would be forgiven until they sinned again. And they always repeated their sins. There were many covenants between God and his chosen people. Two of the more famous ones are the covenants God made with Abraham and with Noah. I would like to focus on the old covenant that was in existence at the time of Jesus. It was called the Mosaic Covenant and was, according to the Old Testament, based on the Ten Commandments written in stone that God had given to Moses and a very large, many book volume of rules and regulations that went with those covenants. The Old Covenant had 613 legal provisions and far more things that explained them and applied them. We find generally these, these 613 legal provisions in the first five books of the Bible, which the Jews call the Torah. More specifically, we find them in the books of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. If you truly want a mind-numbing experience, then I invite you to read these three books and try to stay awake while you do so. It's difficult. The provisions govern every aspect of Jewish life. Some of the more interesting ones are for the Jewish Sabbath or Shabbat. You are not to do any work whatsoever. Work would apply to tying or untying your shoes, starting a fire, or today, throwing an electric switch, wiring, writing, or erasing two letters of the alphabet. To put it bluntly, these provisions were impossible to comply with. Therefore, one was always in sin. One needed to once again make sacrifices with the priest at the temple to be cleansed of one's sin and start all over again. The cycle was never-ending. In reading the Bible, we can see that the prophets of all, old, began to say that there was a change coming in the covenant. The most well-known of these statements comes from the prophet Jeremiah, wherein he states, at the book that bears his name, at chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, which is our first scriptural passage for today, read by Karen, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put in my law within them, 
and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Now, many biblical biblical scholars say that these scriptural passages foretold the coming of Jesus Christ. The key words are said to be that there will no longer be a list of rules and regulations that must be followed and are external to humans. Instead, God will put God's law within us, literally write it on our hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And in return, God states, I will forgive their inequity and remember their sins no longer. And the new covenant between God and his people, in fact, did come, just as Jeremiah prophesied. The new covenant was and still is in Jesus Christ. Now, many Christians believe that Jesus was the final sin sacrifice of the old covenant, in that Jesus, or as some have called him, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for our sins. And therefore, unlike the Old Testament, we have been permanently forgiven for our sins. If we ask for forgiveness and we do a 180-degree turn from the actions, thoughts, or mannerisms that led to those sins. Now, others believe that the life, teaching, and ministry of Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the new covenant with God. If we internalize who Jesus was, what his presence meant, and what he said, then we have entered into a new covenant with God. We can come to know God and the life God wishes us to live and the blessings of God's grace, love, and yes, forgiveness. Under the new covenant. Forgiveness is full. Forgiveness is forever. Forgiveness is for us. As Jesus said in our second scriptural passage for today, from the Gospel according to John 14, verses 7 through 10, If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells within me does his works. That's a very clear statement of the new covenant. God's covenant with us is Jesus Christ. We don't have to live a life governed by a set of rules and regulations that are impossible to follow. We don't have to make repeated sacrifices to God because we can't follow those rules and regulations and therefore are sinners. Our new bilateral contract with God 
is that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, then the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of God become very real to us, you and to me. Now, Jesus does speak about his relationship with the old covenant at Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, wherein he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He was also asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, if we stop and think about it for a minute, we can incorporate all of the Ten Commandments given by God to Moses into this statement just made by Jesus. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind, you will not want to worship other gods. You will not take the Lord's name in vain. And you will set aside time to worship your God. And if you love others as yourself, you will not kill another. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal from others. You will not lie about someone else. You will not covet your neighbor's anything. Why will you not do those things? Because you love them as part of the covenant we have with God. And finally, Jesus makes it very clear in the words we use in the sacrament of communion, that he is the new covenant between God and us. They come from the gospel according to Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with a cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Well, what does all this mean for all of us living today? It means that we have our own personal covenant or contract with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the covenant. Through Jesus, we can learn what God wants from us and how to achieve it. It is not a large number of rules or regulations. Instead, it is the Jesus we can see and come to know personally through his life, his teachings, and his ministry. It is through him we all can receive the totally unmerited, undeserved, and unearned grace of God. Through his life, we can see how God would like us to live our lives. Jesus is the covenant through which we hear the promises of God made to us. In return, all we need to do is have faith in God through Jesus Christ, and that God's promises are true, and God will fulfill those promises. Now, for some of us, 
This may be a new way of looking and thinking about Jesus Christ. I invite you to explore this new view of him and being a covenant in a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. In doing so, you will come to know and bring within you Jesus the Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.